Magic.me is the world's greatest school for magic, meditation, and mysticism. You can find everything there to become the person you are meant to be, discover your true self, and turn your life into exactly what it needs to be. You can learn everything from Raja Yoga to meditation to chaos magic, hermeticism. In short, every single technique inherited from thousands of years of the world's sacred traditions to supercharge your life and win. Magic.me, M-A-G-I-C-K dot M-E. All right, today's guest is Andrew Lee, one of my oldest friends in the world. We grew up together, we got into magic about the same time, and he's an all-around great guy. If you happen to live in San Diego or Southern California, check out his barbershop, Paloma Barbershop, in, I believe, North Park, San Diego, a barbershop for wizards, mystics, and the otherwise inclined. We had a great conversation. We talked about everything from music to pop culture to the ongoing cultural divide in America to magic, and even Andy's experience taking the ADAPT initiative, the flagship course at magic.me. That was really, really interesting to hear about. You're really going to love this episode. All right, with no further ado, please welcome Andrew Lee. When's the last time I saw you? Uh, was was the last time I saw you the Killing Joke when we went to see Killing Joke? Almost ten years ago. What? That's terrifying. Yeah. That was, was ten still, years ago. Uh, I was still in school. Oh my god. Yeah, dude. That's. I just uh, want. I want. It was twenty thirteen. Twenty thirteen was almost ten years ago about that that's that that in itself is 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 too much well it's been uh time time flies when the world's ending i guess yeah man yeah (laughs) i do want a t-shirt that just says jazz coleman was right on it i i don't want that to be true but it probably (laughs) yeah i i feel like at that time jazz coleman was kind of like going on a bit of an infowars tangent which doesn't look that great in retrospect. Like he was talking about FEMA camps and things like that. And uh, now Alex Jones is on trial. So it's kind of a bad look in retrospect. Uh, I mean, what's the one thing about that, specifically that record, the self-titled one is that um, there are tons of things in there that you need to pause the record for and like fact check what he says. Um, What is it? Just enough water for one third of the population. Or something like that. Did you go? Fa- was that real? Did you fact check that? I okay. So during the, the initial, the onset of like the pandemic, I mean that record was the go-to, especially while we were able to open up in here, and that's how I would like get jacked up in the morning, nice. like driving down and blaring that. And so I couldn't. I, I would always make the mental note, but you know like any responsible member of society, I would do my best to just repeat that as much as I could without fact-checking. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the, the, the right approach. <laughs> yeah, I yep. think the album after that, that album is one of the best albums ever. That was 2003, that's, I think, that came out. But then he did the one... Asana, right? Yeah, uh, that's on it, yeah. I, I know yeah. The, the song on it that you'll never get to me is like my personal anthem. That actually got me out of some dark spots. Yeah. Yeah. 
that's that's an amazing song. I think the one after that, he did one where there's like a skull on the cover. I forget what it's called, but it was like all like Alex Jones type stuff. And then he did another one recently called Pylon, which I haven't really listened to that much. But eh, yeah, the cool thing about <laughs> the, the cool thing about him, though, is like he's he's living the dream in a lot of ways. I mean, he was kind of he was super into the occult in the early 80s and he got really into Kenneth Grant and his holy guardian angel and all this stuff and he went off like backpack around the world and go to South America, Central America to do all this magic and then he just like he lived it and and now he has his own I think permaculture farm in New Zealand where he's been out yeah. there prepping for the end of the world and that's kind of the the thing it's like prior to the pandemic like all these guys were kind of like okay maybe maybe just tone it down a notch. I remember in like during the Obama administration, I was allowing myself to relax a little bit and say like, you know what? Maybe everything isn't totally insane and a conspiracy theory. And I just need to chill out and grow up and, you know, function in society. And then lo and behold, the pandemic, <laughs> like Trump and the pandemic and all of that. And it's like, no, <laughs> no, never, never let your guard down. Sadly, <laughs> sadly true. I was thinking about, it's funny. I, I was thinking about, um, I was thinking about Trent Reznor yesterday and, and jazz in terms, I, I took a nap and I woke up and for whatever reason I had left the television on and it was that head, like a whole video was playing and that was not how I wanted to be. Working <laughs> up, but, and, um, it was it's it, in some kind of way I, I don't know it, Re Reznor's uh, um, Reznor's evolved into this kind of like super mature Academy Award winning like synth daddy and uh, and he has a certain amount of respectability to him and I, I wouldn't say that I don't I mean most people don't even I don't even know if many of the people that would be listening to Ultra Culture right now know who Jazz Coleman is but. Probably, uh, probably quite a few. Hopefully, yeah, for sure, a, a few. Um, but uh, in some weird ways, they've they've kind of like mirrored each other. I can't. I don't know. I, I, I was thinking about that. Um, if, I mean, fucking killing joke over nine inch nails every day of the week. Yeah, uh, forever. But <laughs> I, I, it, but at the same time, at the same time, jazz is like has has a certain amount of respect too in terms of like what he does with his with the orchestras and things like that. In that's Europe. right. And yeah. He's really, he's a fascinating character for sure. He's like a, a classically trained classical composer. Um, yeah, I was, I think about that a lot often too, just because in terms of obviously when we were growing up in the, the mythical nineties and you know, there were like certain people you could kind of latch on to as alternative role models or like goth role models. And Trent Reznor was definitely one of them. But then, you know, it was like the, the Trent Reznor was really, really terrifying to people back then. I don't know how head like a whole has aged, but have you ever seen that music video where he, with Bob Flanagan in his, in his, I think it's one of the ones for Broken, where it's Bob Flanagan, who was also known as Bob Flanagan, the super masochist in one of his torture machines. Yeah. 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 Pr pr pretty rough. You know, <laughs> pretty rough. Yeah. That, that's kind of the thing that people who were kind of came to consciousness after after 9-11 don't understand about the 90s. It was just like the competition to be who could be the biggest edgelord. And it it was a free for all. 
But yeah, Trent Reznor is somebody who's kind of matured and that's something that I'm sure every generation needs. It's like they need they it's important to see at least some of your heroes from when you were growing up also mature and grow with you. And the yes. the obvious yeah. the so Trent Reznor obviously has and you know is a very professional and mature individual and Marilyn Manson definitely has not. So that that's a very stark mm-hmm. contrast in terms of which way you can go as you as you grow up, I think. Did you did you see the recent thing with him where, um, you know, there's the Johnny Depp connection and something, there was something about fans paying like $3,000 to unseal court documents relating to the Johnny Depp Amber Heard thing. Uh, yeah, people I did were, see like, that. Scouring these kinds of things. And he's talking about James Yeehaw from the Smashing Pumpkins, like using racial slurs against them. And Oof, it's like, I did not I mean, see that. I'm amazed that that guy is still, um, like a like out and about in public and like a Manson? man, yeah, yeah. He did post like a. I think he's countersuing and he posted this huge court document to his Instagram, like claiming it's a conspiracy and all of this. But you know, just unpleasantness all around. And that, that that's oh that's God. sad because because also Marilyn Manson seemed like he was going to maybe do a David Bowie and just take continue taking on new personas. And then that just, he just descended into self parody after Columbine. Take on however many personas you want, but I mean that, <clears throat> that kind of conduct in, in private, it's fucking gross. Yeah. Uh, yeah, here, yeah. He's, he's, he doesn't have the, the fortitude or the wherewithal to kind of get to that Bowie level. I, I I think about Bowie too. Like sometimes I, I question. I I feel like maybe his influence is a little overstated, or I don't necessarily know what it is at this point. But you know, I don't know. Not to get too into like rock talk or whatever. But, <laughs> no, it's okay. You know, <laughs> you think I just wonder about that kind of thing. Wait, um, how do you mean overstated? I don't know. Every I, I meet people all the time, and they have David Bowie tattoos and and all this kind of stuff. And I wonder what is what does that mean to you? Right. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, when I when I moved back to Southern California, um, it was interesting coming back from New York and living with Genesis and just being around, you know, ultra nihilist industrialists uh, and industrial music, kind of like heroin insanity, and just uh, and then going to L.A. It's kind of like you know, goths in New York are. Or like, I have crawled across a mile of broken glass to tear open my chest to show you even a fraction of what my pain means. And then you go to L.A. and like, goths in L.A. are like, I like David Bowie and Labyrinth. You know, like, <laughs> oh, like, yeah, yep. and, you know, it's like, it's kind of like the, the Disneyland goth thing. It's like, let's go to karaoke and sing, you know, uh, a dance magic dance from Labyrinth with David. <laughs> so, but... I was I was thinking about this because Bowie never gets old for me in a way, and I feel like um, although there were a lot of you know accusations about him as well, uh, his conduct in the early seventies with groupies and things like that. But um, David Bowie, yeah, it was so complex that I feel like whoever you are, there's an era of David Bowie for you, and he's another one that you can age with. I think because he took on so many, you know, more, more and more adult personas as, as, as he matured, but you're just over it. He did. What would be your, if you had to take one, what, I mean, 
kind of, I've, I've absorbed it in, in so many times throughout my life. It's, it's very rare that I want to put a Bowie record on, but also gear, um, you know, I have to, due to the nature of my work, I had to, I have to uh, curate music for like 40 hours a week. So that's tough. <clears throat> it, it can be music consumption for me can kind of be a little combative or it's, it's difficult. I'm generally just prefer to like choose things that I can kind of ignore sometimes. I, it's very rare that I want to put on a Bowie record. Um, if I do probably hunky dory, I don't know. Okay, about yeah. Years, but I like that kind of play. I like, playfulness i like tunes and stuff like that kind of going back to the resner thing it's why it it was always kind of um it's a little one note for me there's no humor there's no yeah no no his soundtrack you know, stuff is, is much is, his soundtrack stuff is great though for good background music slash, working music dude. i yeah <laughs> i watched the show I watched the uh, social network the other night and I was like, this soundtrack is stunning. It's a phenomenal soundtrack. That is one of the best. My, my criteria for music at this point is like, I can work with it on. And that's a great one for working. One of possibly one of the all time best music to have on while, while you're working albums. Yeah. Um, Bowie. I mean, for me, it's perennially the, the low era that Bowie and Berlin and, and also in which I include the idiot by Iggy pop, which is still one of my all time favorite albums. And just listening to that in the middle of the night on headphones, never, never fails. Um, and he, he produced that. So I counted as a Bowie album. Uh, but I actually really like early nineties Bowie, like outside era, another very, very underrated album. And even black tie white noise when he was like, kind of like portraying himself as it, as like a advertising executive and with, showing influence from United Colors of Benetton and things like this. Uh, I really like that era. But after that, he kind of just got really, really morose. Although I love his last album. Yeah. Um, Black Star. That, yeah. There's one that was maybe around 98 or 99. I forget what it is. There's a couple of different... Uh, on the cover, there's like a bunch of different Bowies. And it's maybe a little, a little VH1-y at that mm. time. It's kind of like... David Bowie does VH1 storytellers, like adult contemporary, and there's like trip hop influences. And <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. I'm so, I've been so exhausted by the last 23 years. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I, I think it's inevitable to gravitate towards. How uh, old are you now? I, uh, 40. Uh, yeah. 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 Yep. What is the, uh, uh, yeah, what have you been thinking about other than that? You uh, you've been doing putting together a new a new course, and I'm sure that's taken up a bunch of your time. But what do you what have you been like putting your eyes on or watching or culture wise? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I know you just did the dark the dark night thing with Mitch, um, which yeah. I loved. Let's I love, see, I, dude, I love Mitch because he says stuff. Anybody that says stuff like. Um, so then Steve Bannon called me and told me that I really liked <laughs> yeah, your book. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then, was... and I think, and I questioned him like, what do you, what exactly are you grooving to? I love people that say groovy, like yeah, that yeah. kind of, I love people that talk like Sammy Davis Jr. As in Wayne's world too. 
like showing up in the dream with Jim Morrison. Like, yeah, yeah, man, these two cats can't groove together. No, it's great. It's great. Well, well Sammy Davis <laughs> Jr. was also a Satanist. So, you know, yeah, yeah, very, 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 very funny. Let's see. I recently, um, I watched The Day Shall Come on IM, IFC, which was very, very good. I don't, I don't know if you're, you're aware of Chris Morris. He's like an English comedian comic. He is criminally underknown. He's pretty much the guy that invented the fake news show format that was later taken by Ollie G and The Daily Show, actually. And yeah. he did two shows yeah. like that in England in the mid two thousand mid nineteen mid nineties called The Day to Day and Brass Eye, both of which are very, very, very much worth looking up on wherever you can find them. Uh, but he recently did he did a movie called Four Lions. Have you heard of that one? No. Yeah, that one is also worth looking up. It's um it's a comedy about four jihadis that live together in North London and they're constantly trying to plot terror attacks, but their mom is constantly being like, no, you have to do the, the laundry and, and first. And like, <laughs> and like they're constantly getting embarrassed by their parents. And then like, it's just like, <laughs> uh, it's a super, it's a super good, uh, super good movie. But the day shall come is a comedy about the FBI setting up people to do terrorism and i don't i don't know if you're aware of this like the fbi is constantly goading people into doing terror attacks so they can justify their funding and they're constantly picking on like mentally disabled people people just like with no support network just getting them in chats and just constantly like spending a year being like all right are you going to do it now or are you going to do it now and it's really really tragic and so chris morris did this movie that is about the FBI goading totally helpless people into becoming terrorists. And it's funny, but also very serious because there's like at least 300 cases of this, of the FBI just creating terrorists out of nothing and just that's, ruining I people's mean, lives and sending them to jail forever. Uh, that, that People have said that, that that's what um, Mark David Chapman, like what happened with him, that they basically made him a bot. Maybe to, I don't know. To a, I mean, that's conspiratorial. Yeah, this isn't as much the like kind of like like they hypnotize people and turn them into Manchurian candidates. It's basically just they find yeah. vulnerable people and just like goad them into doing stuff. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's very it's definitely not a conspiracy theory. It's it's kind of happening constantly. So that was that I really enjoyed that. Um, music wise. I'm trying to think I'm not music wise. It's hard to say. I definitely got to a point in my life recently where I actually had a funny experience about this because this meditation course is about to come, come out with, I spent a lot of time talking about the yamas and the yamas, which are do's and don'ts of how to live an ethical life. So it's free of drama. And one of them is non-stealing. And so I was really, cause I'm following my own courses. I'm doing it. And so I was thinking about this and I was like, you know, like I have a lot of, to be fair, I have a lot of pirated music. And it's like one of those things, I don't know how you feel about it. It's like one of those things that you kind of dismiss. It's like, oh, it's not a big deal, but it's kind of kind of like in the background kind of nagging you, you know, and obviously musicians make no money and things like that. So I was like, okay, like this is, this is, this is ridiculous. So I now have made a, made a, made a, um, 
whatever resolution to only to only pay for because now there's streaming services as well. So I actually like paying for streaming services, whether it's like Cobas or IFC or things like that, because the curation is always awesome. And I think past your early 20s, like finding new music is almost impossible. So having somebody there like paying for curation, I think, is worth it just in itself. So I'm always I'm on this French streaming service called Cobas, which is really high quality and curated by Europeans, you know, so there's all kinds of wacky stuff on it. And so I'm constantly listening to like international electronic music and things like that. I couldn't tell you what any of it is, but there's there's so much amazing stuff being made and put out now, including with films. And because there's so much out there, I feel like I feel like the bar to get noticed is so high. Like there's people out there who are just like pure geniuses putting out incredible stuff and no one ever sees it because it's just so oversaturated. And when you hear it, I, I feel like music in particular, people expect it like running water. You know, they expect it to be free or streamed and it, it's all become background music. So it, it's amazing how much um, stuff, you know, pilfering of recorded music, pirating music, and um, and then kind of a move towards something in the middle with streaming with like Spotify or whatever it's changed people, how they, how they value it. Yeah. You have a different relationship as a consumer when you're not making that initial investment. I remember one time writing, I remember going to off the record with you. Yeah. 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 And we, I bought, uh, an echo in the Bunnyman record. I bought the wrong echo in the Bunnyman record. Okay. Like I, it was like my first foray into him. I didn't go. I went like more modern, and but you, you spent the eleven ninety nine or whatever it was. So you're just gonna sit there and figure out how to fucking like it. Yeah. Like you yeah. just that's yeah. what you do. Um, and now that's that's kind of gone. And it feels good when you actually do. Like I just we just busted out our old CD collection and brought it up into our place, and we have that and. Um, it, it somehow feels a lot healthier. Just, yeah. I paid for this. All yeah. Stuff. For it's, sure. Talking, talking about music discovery, it's really interesting. I have a funny trick that I do where if I get really into, um, let's say I get into like ABBA. Okay. Like, which is something that I've done. Um, and I, and I, I wanted to ask you this too um, in a minute, but I'll like get into ABBA and then you go, well, ABBA was such a worldwide export. People all over the world loved ABBA. And then you go, you know that there are knockoffs. So like, what is the knock, what's the ABBA knockoff from Venezuela? Or what's the <laughs> ABBA knockoff from Croatia or, or whatever it is? And, and like, look that up. And, you know, that's like a great backdoor kind of hack. That's too. really interesting find weird avenues you can do it with nearly anybody that's kind of well known you know um it's, it's, it's an interesting thing i in the last couple of years um i've made a really concentrated effort to challenge my thinking about certain artists or works of art that i have um preconceived notions of or i i just kind of know like i will not like this I will sit down and run. I'll just 
dive headfirst into okay. into it and see what I can figure out. I'm wondering if you've ever like oh, really yeah. done that. Like, no, absolutely. It's a really great practice. Yeah, particularly now with streaming services, when you have access to so much stuff. I can't remember the name of it, but there was actually a music journalist who wrote a book a couple years ago just on how to listen to music in the streaming age because the whole concept of genres and like new albums coming out and being a big thing like that's pretty much a thing of the past and instead we have access to like everything so where do you even begin with that how do you listen to that constructively and yeah i do that a lot i think particularly with streaming services getting into international stuff is awesome you know you can like find yeah like you know like uh, gr- Brazilian girl groups from the '60s, or like things like this. You know, like psych- my actually my favorite genre that I found was uh, psychedelic Cambodian bar music from the Vietnam era. It's just like yeah. phenomenal, and so discovery is is a lot of fun. But yeah, like I've been listening to a lot of country lately. You know, and it's like I definitely I think it's certain. It's kind of like there's certain foods that you can't stand when you're a kid. Like for me, it was always pickles. And things like that and now i'm 40 and now pickles taste good for some reason so but i actually think that that's a really good practice for just putting yourself in other people's shoes and also understanding like the universality of human the human experience and human emotion because like what's really the difference between you know a, a velvet underground song and a travis tritt song at the end of the day you know, it's like <laughs> like not not a whole lot <laughs> it's probably they the same chords too. Than they, they have more in common than they have differences. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you know the, the Nazi thing about ABBA though? I know. Okay. Uh, there is, I forget which one of the singers it is. Um, her mother, they were, she was basically like a, a Nazi, like raped her mother or something like that. And, and like some kind of camp that they would put people in, in Finland. Is that what you're, uh that i haven't heard i think it's that that's pretty bad but i don't think i heard that one the the one that at least the way that i understand it is the nazis had a program called the liebensborn program where they picked all like the best in their opinion you know women and ss officers they were trying to like breed people to raise a master race of people and there were a bunch of kids that were the result of this project and she's one of them and after i mean what i just said rape Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know the specific. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, but there were all these kids that were the product of that project and they had, were brutally discriminated against in Germany after the war. And I, there's actually a video game about being a kid from this project and like trying to survive being bullied in Germany, which is, I think it's called like my, my Lebensborn or something like that. But yeah, pretty, pretty, yeah, so, you know, yeah, ABBA was the the output of the Nazi super soldier project uh project. That's I mean, it's it's interesting too. A lot of I talk to a lot of people. I'm not a gamer. Um but people tell me about the types of games that they're playing now and uh they're, they're kind of astonishing. Yeah. They're like games where you like wear a VR headset and uh the whole premise of it is that you're like a child that is just passed away from some kind of like unnameable, like some kind of like horrible, uncurable disease. And God <laughs> asked you to like walk back through your life for you. Oh, and it's just like, what the, 
What the hell yeah. is this? I mean, we're so far away from side scrollers, but it's being used in, in these um, really amazing ways to like cultivate empathy. Yeah, no, um, for sure. Your perspective on things. For it's sure. really, it's fascinating. That That's one of the great gifts, I think, of having so much digital media available to us. I mean, movies were always like that, but now the barrier to entry for making movies is way down. So we're getting movies from so many people's lived experiences. And yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I like games a lot. I will definitely have to look for that one. Um, but they can be great for cultivating empathy for sure. And there's so many, you know, the barrier for that is pretty low too. So there's so many indie games on just the most rent kind of, um, you know, there's a very famous game, I think called coming home or something like that. That's like, it's, it's fairly old now that is basically about the experience of coming back from college and coming out as gay to your parents and having them oh, wow. just totally reject you and what, what's that, what that's like. Yeah. yeah. And I played, it. it was very affecting. Um, there's another one that I really like. I actually recommended in one of my courses called this war of mine which is a war game, but from the perspective of people trying to like hide in shelter from the war. So it, it's based, it's based on the Eastern, like the Balkan conflict. And you're kind of just like hiding in this house and like trying to like survive and deal with people getting sick and like kids crying. And yeah, it's uh, it's, and there's no way to win. Also, it's pretty brutal. Yeah. I, it's really interesting thing. You talked about movies it's it's a really interesting thing to think that we are watching the death of like a hundred year old art form as we as we speak i mean the whole thing is just like yeah you think so it's changed i i i do i think in a, in a certain in a certain uh aspect it's we used to go this is um i don't know if you've ever really dug on like or tuned into like Brady Sinellis's podcast. Yeah. He I talks have. a lot about this kind of stuff. He's, yeah. he's a fantastic uh, personality in terms of like film going and, and oh, for sure. cinema. Yeah. For um, sure. But he, you know, his, I'm not, I'm basically just quoting him, but we used to, you know, build these huge pantheons to this art form and we would stand outside and wait in line, get dressed up, wait all week, you know? Um, and now it's, it ain't that. Yeah. And, and it's now kind of a mono monoculture. Of, it's just all Marvel, you know, Marvel movies. movies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, although did you see top? No, did you see top? I haven't too? seen top. It's, it's yeah, pretty I haven't. awesome. It's, it's, I've on, it's on my list. I've it's heard pretty, it's, it's pretty awesome. It's a good, it's a good, you know, like that, like feeling of yes, America is awesome. And like, hooray for us. It's like, obviously not true but it was very nostalgic to just feel that again and remember what that was like even if it was always an illusion um so and tom cruise is awesome in it i did really really tom like cruise. it what what a what a champ yeah <laughs> there's like how do you even write how do you even reckon with tom cruise i know hey, what's funny is when you go back and you watch tom cruise he just wants it so much more than everybody else um the actors of his generation were, they would kind of demur from doing certain roles and he was just like, yeah, I don't care. Yeah. That's, that's very admirable. Uh, and I think, uh, yeah, all the flying in that movie is real. There's no CGI. 
his he flies his own private plane in it like he actually flies the jets in it and that is just just phenomenal i think they're now working on a movie in space uh to be the first movie that they film actually like and it's just like you know what like great <laughs> like it, it's awesome to to see somebody like um going for it and that that is something that i've really had to adjust about myself because we definitely grew up in the slacker cynical 90s and i now recognize that a lot of my personality that was formed in that time was formed in that time by media and it's just really really unhelpful to being an adult mm-hmm. so so I, I i sometimes like to go like all right let's go see top gun <laughs> there's also the weird the weird connection that you and i have i don't know if you, you know the fighter town where they the yeah. whole movies like centered i mean it's for the listener at home, it is, it's about a mile and a half from where Jason and I grew up. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I used to sit in my backyard and the blue angels would fly over and I could read the, I could read the numbers on their helmets. Damn. Just with your bare eyes. Bare eyes. Damn. That's nuts. Yeah. I think growing up in a military town definitely is, is for and and then being an alternative person or aspiring to i mean it's like that definitely has a formative influence because san diego is such a republican military it really is like like it is top gun the town and and you're like surrounded by people that that's like their fantasy image of themselves and that's about like how deep it goes you know (laughs) so yeah they're wearing uh athleisure like high-end athletic leisure wear and it's about your keto diet and your beer and yeah, you know, walking your dog and stuff yeah. like that. Well, yeah. that's that's kind of what my life is like now. But yeah, <laughs> but I, I never flew a fighter jet, nor probably ever will I ever. Maybe if I join Scientology and get up to Tom Cruise's degree, I'll get the secret. Seems to be working for him. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about magic if you want to. I, I, uh, I was very surprised because I know like, you know, you were, you were around me when I was like, my head was starting to do weird things. And I was like going just on this tangent of suddenly being really interested in all of this stuff and just kind of like everything melting for me. And then when we reconnected later, then I found out you, you had also gotten into it, which I think as far as I remember, you weren't at the time, right? I was really on the down low with it. Even at the time? talking about yes oh okay Um, i didn't even realize that yeah i mean my my family i mean god bless him i mean my my dad was like he was born in 1943 so like he would almost be like how you and i are like the the elusive zenial yeah like you know (laughs) we don't really belong any which way it's the the best way to be though i think we have two feet on separating continents you know yeah uh and we're um so my, my dad was a, he was a captain in the Marine Corps and was, I mean, square would be an understatement. Like, so I, I had to very much, I had to kind of put that stuff in the background and it was very hidden. Whereas I remember one time hanging out with you and going in your room and like, you had like a mortar and like a fucking mortar and pestle on your life. <laughs> that was so, so for context, for, for, for context though, that was not a magic thing. That was my grandfather was dying of Alzheimer's and that was something Who's that he, the asshole in this situation? 
what it just I did have like skulls and like all kinds of like HR Geiger posters and stuff. But um, yeah, that was I had, I had just kind of uh, inherited pre-inherited that from him, which I don't remember. I don't really know what he used it for, but it definitely, you know, skulls and HR Geiger posters were not part of it. <laughs> yeah, I was start, definitely starting to go. We didn't have the Internet. And I, I did in my household until I think like late 99. Um, so I would walk up to the library and try to get into stuff like that. And the most, um, the things that were available to me at the time were like theosophical people. And there were, there were books about like Wadavatsky and stuff like that. And I was reading it, and, but, but beyond that, it was, it was kind of, um, it was hidden. It was hidden from me. You fully ran into it with your arms open. Yeah. The uh, best decision in retrospect, I don't know. But yeah. Yeah. It just took, it of, took over. It took over my entire brain as yeah. soon as on, on contact. And I, that was not, not planned at all. I sidestepped down the mountain very carefully or walked up it, if you will, like very ginger for, for a long time. Um. For some reason, then, I mean, I got really high-minded about it. I tried a bunch of different types of practices, and, I, and there were times where I was doing kind of like a rudimentary, like, form of alchemy, where I was, like, perusing, the, like, online, trying to figure out how to make, like, you know, herbal spirits and things like right. that. And that was when I was in college. I mean, the idea of, the idea of like, uh, like a 22-year-old in, like, 2001, like, at a health food store in Sonoma County, like buying tinctures to like, Jesus Christ. I don't know. I was totally lost. I don't know. I feel like that's probably, that would be likely more popular than ever, <laughs> particularly I, in Sonoma County. Totally. <laughs> um, but yeah, we did. And we didn't talk about it. And then it just kind of, I, you know, I, I think we, we always, maintained contact but then you started kind of coming out and then um you, you know you did uh the first book mm -hmm. um generation hex and that was when it was like okay now we're we're all off to the races here yeah with this kind of stuff um i don't know when that's put out the uh book of lies to that, I think that was I, 2002 I was, 2002 yeah yeah I got that right after um, Generation X, and that was a nice, like, end way to into different people. That's still a great. That, that's a like great that. book. That's a great book. Yep. It's still a great book. I, I think I worked yeah. on the. Ad, I did not work on that, except I designed some of the ads in the back. Um, but that was a phenomenal uh, uh, collection. I think very yeah, much of its time. Back, I mean, Jen's Jen's writings are fantastic in that too yeah um, yeah they're about crowley and anyhow yeah that's that's where it was at and i've always it, from there you know not you know talking about magic that's where i got into carol and and stuff like that with but i always i kept it i i knew that there would be a certain amount of um blowback in my life if i went about things in a on a haphazard way. So it was very important for me to not like, you know, I wanted to like, if I was going to take the engine out and, and disassemble it, like I needed to take pictures of every step of the way. So I knew how to put it back. <laughs> That's really smart. That's really wise. Yeah. I did not do that. Now I have no idea how to put it back. That's really smart. 
Yeah, I definitely think that's the better way to do it. And I that's certainly what I recommend to all my students. It's just like, yeah, keep it keep it on the on the down low. Uh and I for whatever reason, I just decided to blow my life up permanently, you know. So yeah. You got it. Have you have you ever seen the um have you ever seen the Ryan Gosling movie, uh First Man? No. Where it's about like it's fantastic. They show all the experimental, like the astronauts, like flying experimental like moon landing crafts and those guys were just like banging themselves up for the betterment of everybody. That, that's that's me, yeah. <laughs> um so then then you so you then you started to get a little bit more methodical or practiced with it? Yeah. Yeah. Sometime when we were in LA, we were both there at the same time. And then that was maybe 2007 to, I don't know, 2011. I feel like I moved there right after you left. I think we hung out. We got to see each other there. Well, you were in um, San Diego and, or I don't know if we were both in LA specifically at the same time, but anyways, we, we were, it's funny as I was looking at, I, email searched and that you were living in i think echo park yeah and i was in eagle rock and i was oh. like yo do you want to go see i was gonna i was a massive shushu fan very off um and i was like do you want to go see shushu and i got a uh i got a uh like an eight line response from you that was ha 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 oh no. jesus i used to be such a dick i'm sorry <laughs> I don't remember that at all. I was on, I was, I probably shouldn't talk about that era too much. It was a, a an ir- irresponsible era for me, shall we say? Well, I don't mean to bring up old shit, Gleason. It's, I totally, you could kind of say whatever you want. I'm not going to take offense. <laughs> I don't remember yeah, that at a- all. I, I remember hanging out at the time and definitely going to Killing Joke and reconnecting. And wow. Yeah. Okay. That's, so that's, best, that's pretty cold. Sorry. I kind of went out. On the out, I, I didn't. Um, I kind of put it away for a while, uh, uh, pursuing magic and stuff like that until right up until the pandemic. Um, and that I don't know if you've kind of. Uh, I don't know what you've told your audience so far. I don't know what preamble we get, but I'm a barber. Yeah. Um, I have a fairly disciplined life it's almost like monastic in some kind of way it's like seven dwarves like i get up and walk into work and i have to be here at a certain time and yada yada make make sure everything's all nice and clean and that i'm i myself am in functioning (laughs) like working operating order yeah and that guy yanked out from me when the pandemic happened i didn't there was no work from home for us yeah so it was like, what the hell do I do? I can just sit here and be a jellyfish and have no form or anything like that. Or I can maybe try to like level up a bit. And, in, and that's where, that's when I got into adept, into the adept initiative. Oh, okay. And, um, and, and put that kind of structure back into my life. You know? That's great. Yeah. That was such a dark Keeping time. A, oh my Lord. I remember Keeping going, a very, yeah. like, keeping a rigid schedule with meditation and things like that. That's it was, great. It, it was a lifesaver. Yeah. I remember being worried about you during the time. And also I was going to, I think I was the barbershops in LA just started like, like gorilla barbering and just like having a lookout and things like this. And I was just, that was when I really started to just sour on everything. It was just like, 
in California, you literally have to, at least at the time, you had to break the law just to do your job. And yeah, yeah and, and obviously there were reasons for that, but it's just, yeah, the, the, the rug got yanked out from so many people. Uh, yeah. What is your, so what was your experience like with, um, with Adept then? This is a good question. Um, in all honesty, I, I didn't, uh, I never really tried to do, um, meditation like that before. And I didn't necessarily, I don't know. Also at that time, it was like when like Sam, it was a guy's name, Sam Harris. Was like, and then all these like mindfulness apps yeah. started coming up yeah. and everyone's kind of like, dude, it's been great. I've been meditating for 35 minutes a day. And they're like laying down on a couch, listening to new age music and stuff oh, like that. And wait, you mean how, people who are doing those apps? Yeah. Like that's what that's they're saying. Great. Meditation is. Yeah. I, and and I knew that there was another side of it, of course. I was like studied enough to know that there was a different thing going on with it, especially in terms of hermeticism and, and things like that. And, 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 you know, Western stuff, but um, I didn't necessarily know how or why people were using it. So that was eye opening to me. Um, I, I came, you know, you mentioned Barden and I looked into that. And I think I had always looked for something that felt more in line with my own values as a, as a human and my principles. And while I love, you know, things about Crowley or Rigardi or all these kinds of things, it, uh, but Franz Barden getting into, uh, going through initiation into hermetics was really, that worked for me. That, that felt like a, ah, Kind of moment but I, there was a trust there i, I okay. trusted the text i trusted the the person there on that end um that it you know as, as mitch would say i could i could groove with it okay as opposed to just dealing with crowley's you know whole thing that he has going on to me i the the, the crowley things maybe a little there's there's so it's a, maybe a bit you know, high-minded for me, or it's a little academic or scholarly, and um, I don't really have time for that. I need, yeah. I need fucking instruction. Yeah, yeah. Like I need sit down, do this for seven minutes. Here's how you, you know, sit down and like, and there, and in in Barden's initiation in hermetics, there's a there are a bunch of great exercises that you can do to kind of like improve your mental capacity and, and your ability to perform ritual. What, what were those? Um, it's been a while since I've like, looked at it. It's like sit down and imagine somebody's face for five minutes, but somebody you've never met. Um, imagine a, like a stranger and then like it gradually increase that over the course of like, you know, a couple of weeks until you're doing that for like 10, 15 minutes, you can hold that image and then introduce a conversation with that, like hmm. have a conversation with that person. You can do it with geographical locations too. It doesn't need to be like a, a you know, a sentient being, but it's like, imagine somewhere you've never been. Yeah. Um, that stuff is fantastic in terms of, boosting your creativity interesting yeah um, 
Yeah, Barden's great. Interestingly enough, I think actually a lot of Barden, despite how he pre- presents himself, is taken from Crowley, and I believe he was an OTO member at one point. But, yeah. you know, for whatever reason, he's one of the ones that really presented an actual workbook, which is just so, so helpful. Yeah. Yeah, with actual there, techniques in it. Yeah, it, it, there were there were things in there too where, you know, Barden will go in and give very clear direction on, and uh, you do not disparage any other religion yeah. or the way anybody else has a relationship with God. And I mean, that's very valuable. You can go, I mean, and Crowley was doing a lot of different things in terms of like agitation and all the, and you know, he was, he was wild, but you go and you read like the uh, Crowley's like uh, his uh, instructions on meditation. I mean, there's just, there's just like flat out racist shit in there. What, what I don't remember. He, he talks about like, you know, he, he describes Asian people and like their temperament and all this kind of stuff to where it's just like, you know, you can rationalize that or look past that however you want. Um, It doesn't like, I don't wither at it. I don't, I'm not like, like, you know, cancel Crowley or anything like that. But I just, I am more into the mature expression of just a very straightforward thing from Barden. Yeah, for sure. That, that works for me. Yeah. Also, um, there's a lot of, with Crowley, there's a lot of racist, even more racist stuff that was removed from the books by Bill Breeze uh, in the OTO. So yeah, particularly later on. Yeah. Uh, Crowley is a, a walking bundle of problematic you know, and, uh, but in some ways it, yeah, it's like, but at the end of the day, it's, you don't want the person, you just want to take the techniques and leave the person. He died 75 years ago, you know, and it's like, it's like somebody interviewed, somebody interviewed Jodorowsky about what he thought about Crowley. And he just says, for me, Crowley is a man dead. Yes. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and all the all the things around that. I mean, there. What's the name of the the guy? He was a general. He was a Fuller. Was that? Oh he yeah, was like JFC wrote, Fuller. Yeah. Speaking wrote, of problematic like, poetry, holy shit! Yeah. I bought one of those. I bought one of his books, and I, you know, I was like, I read a, a couple of the poems. They're fantastic. They're amazing. But then I was like, who? What? What am I actually reading here? And you start to go into that. And I mean, he was, he was a bashy. Oh yeah. Well, you know that his, his kind of historical, his primary historical significance, right? He invented the blitzkrieg warfare. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's just like, oh my God. Yeah. He's, he's an interesting one. Uh, cause he wrote a lot of great stuff, but like he was Crowley's student. And then when Crowley went on trial for, uh, he went on trial for something or other. And then it came out that he was bisexual and Fuller was just like, nope, that is, you know, that does not, that's not okay with me. And just, you know, thought it would reflect poorly on his military reputation. And he was very disillusioned with Crowley. So he, he's a bit of a quizzling in a way. He's a bit of, could be considered a traitor, I think, because he invented Blitzkrieg for the British in World War One, at which point it was called Plan 1919. And they just, they just uh, um, dismissed him. So he got real butthurt and he was disillusioned with Crowley. And so he, he fixated on Hitler instead when Hitler showed up as the, 
his true master. And then he just went over to the Germans and they were like, you like my ideas? And they were like, yeah, sure. And so he's, he's a bit of a traitor to, to, to Britain in that regard. But, but a bizarre how these characters who end up being just pivotal to history were around Crowley. Um, you know, Parsons invented the rocket fuel that would have, that flew nukes. You know, if there had been nuclear war, it would have been his fuel. <laughs> so uh, between that and the Blitzkrieg, it's like, yeah, I mean, it's a pretty destructive um, energy, shall we say. Yeah, I, I yeah, I don't, I, um, I don't know what to add to that. <laughs> Other yeah. than, I, you know, you, you can, you can take up and abandon things as you see fit. If they don't well, work for you, they don't work for you. For sure. And like, I was just, I just did a podcast about Dion Fortune's Mystical Kabbalah with Mickey Pellerano. And I was rereading that book and just like it right out the gate. It's just like, you know, racial essentialism and talking about Orientals and all of this stuff. And it's just like, oh my God, like this is just so, even for the time, this is cringe. And uh, yeah. there's a lot of stuff that just does not meet muster anymore. Uh, but the, interestingly, in, in putting the adaptive to get initiative together, it's like once you peel down these personalities, as I think people should, the core techniques are not really that different. Like people are not really coming at this. Like you said something, it's like uh, a while ago, which was, you know, Crowley and Barton seem to be like in conversation sometimes if you read them at the same time. And a lot of those core techniques are not that dissimilar. So, you know, the whole maybe like having these huge larger than life personalities was useful at some point to kind of get the point across and get it into people's consciousnesses. But I feel like, you know, people our age and younger just don't have any, just don't have time for it. You know, we're, we're just too busy to put up with that. I think that might be why Barton resonated because he was, you know, producing, uh, he was producing initiation into hermetics, decades probably i mean i don't remember when library four came out but um it was before the 20s mid 20s i think yeah and i think initiation is sometime in like the mid 40s to the mm. end of it um if i'm not mistaken it seems just brought up to it, it even in that short amount of time that had lapsed between them that there was a, a um an updating of what life is like and how do you and and how you yeah. fit um, those techniques into modern, what at the time was modern life. Barden's is a lot easier to bring forward, you know, into 2020. That's really me. interesting. That's it, really interesting. Well, what, yeah. I don't know if I'm right on that or not. May, well, no, know, it makes sense. Kind of There's a YouTube, there was like a short film done about Barden called the magician or something like that in Eastern Europe. And it just shows somebody kind of like getting up, doing some practices, going to work and coming back, doing some practices and going to bed. And it just like display and, and that like with no like showiness and they're shown as like, you know, the master alchemist or something like that. And I think that's kind of where it's at. Um, yeah. Look at where his, look where his life ended up in, you know, being detained by, I believe the communists um, and being able to hold on for a certain amount of time there through uh, physical illness yeah. that ultimately killed him. But he was, well, I mean, one of the things that he's, he is really big at is, you know, basically being able to heal yourself. Um, 
if you maybe think about like hold hold Barden in that aspect and then think about somebody like Damian Eccles. Yeah. And what Damian was able to do and how he developed his things while he was confined, you know, and in, in like in solitary confinement and all yeah. that kind of stuff like that. There there um there's something to be said for that uh, magic having that kind of function where you can you you know as you always say you it's one of the things you can't take from somebody yeah 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 i, I think damien knuckles talks if i'm correct he talked about you know like in in prison also being able to heal himself in that way was the only thing he could do because like the guards would break his jaw and things like that and he would not have health care and so it was either he was going to use magic to heal himself or he's going to die. So that's a pretty uh, intense mindset. But yeah, that is, uh, but uh, by the same token also, I mean, you think of all these Tibetan Buddhists who are jailed, tortured, and, and you know, often executed by the Chinese government. So it's unfortunately a more common experience than we, we think sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, yeah can't take it, can't take it away. Yeah, that's interesting. I was wondering it. Mm -hmm. uh, I was wondering what if his, you know, he just came out with a new book on, I think it's called Ritual. Yeah, Ritual. Yeah, yeah. And I'm wondering if that has any kind of um, audience in prisons. If people, it's like the thing with like uh, the guy, you know, the, the Bronson, the, and he, you know, they did that Tom Hardy movie. Yeah, yeah. And it's a, he wrote like a little manual that's about like how to get like practice physical fitness strength training in like a three by five cell. Like, I wonder if there are people out there who are ordering that book or have it brought to them. Probably. It'd be really interesting to know that. Well, even when I know, even when I put out ultra culture journal, I was getting message letters from people in prison who were buying it and, and, uh, doing all these like intense, uh, Hindu tantric practices from that book in prison. So yeah, interesting stuff. Um, yeah, I think that the practical aspect is just really important for people. I, I think people just, and that's really the spirit in which magic.me was created. And it's like either people are so stressed and busy now and dealing with so much that doesn't even need to be repeated. I mean, there's just so much going on that it's like, okay, well, either it makes my life better now or I'm not interested. And, and I'm very cognizant of that. And I think magic can be like that and but yeah you look at crowley and there's not a whole lot of you know like like in the 90s people always had like this attitude of anti-results magic like oh no it should be about spiritual transcendence and if you go back to that generation like crowley and fortune and even barden you know barden they're talking about magic should only be for spiritual transcendence and things like that it's like well um like a that assumes the physical world is not part of your spirituality and B, a lot of these people are uh, trust fund kids. You know, Crowley never worked a day in his life and uh, never had to develop those skills ever. And I think that book four, which is still in my mind, probably the high watermark for, for the, the subject, uh, book four he wrote during the Cefalu period in Italy, which was kind of like peak chaos for, for Crowley, just like peak, just 
drug use, degeneracy, just total. This It was the period where he was going through the cliff off and trying to merge with all the worst aspects of the universe and, and just living in this kind of like squat in, in squalor with with uh, his kind of like Manson family in in Chefalu. So it definitely comes, it's, it's a book written by a trust fund kid who is, has run out of money and is kind of going through this requiem for a dream type experience. So it's a very different context from Barden. Uh, Barden, nobody really knows that much about him. I, I know he wrote that biography, a fictionalized biography of himself, which I haven't read, but um, he, he, yeah, he was detained by the Nazis and the communists. The Nazi, uh, the whatever part of the SS was looking for occult secrets like Indiana Jones detained and tortured him. And he did not give them any any secrets. And, but then the communists uh, in Eastern Europe got him. So, yeah, yeah. that's um, <laughs> probably the the trustafarian. Yeah, 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 for sure. <clears throat> and and very likely government agent. You know, uh, just had a podcast about that. He was probably getting you know on government payroll his entire life as well for spying. But. Um, yeah, Crowley makes a lot of assumptions about where people are coming from that just don't bear out in terms of like their time, their their independent means, their educational background, um, you know. And there's there's really good things about that. And one of one of the things I really appreciate about Crowley is you can go back and if you follow even his reading lists, you can kind of give yourself an education that's comparable to a high level education at the time. And as we know, it's like the, the, that bar has been lowered, you know, progressively with every generation. So it is a kind of interesting time capsule in that way of just becoming like well read by, you know, early century English standards, which I think there's a lot of value to that, but, but yeah, not everyone has time for that. So. I, th- I think that's what, going back to the adept initiative thing, it, it was really good to hear you just go, okay, look, you need to get a, you need to get a rug. <laughs> <laughs> like here's the Amazon link, or this is basically what you're looking for rather than, and, and I'm, I don't even remember what the, the specifications of what like, you know, probably would have said about his circle or something like that, but. Oh, they're ridiculous. Know. It's like, like it, his circle it's, 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 tells people it has yeah. to be like nine feet and uh, you know, it's got, you have to have the whole like chamber with this massive, it, it, he basically says, make the one from Lucifer rising with Kenneth Anger. But yeah, and 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 make it from like you know um, beetles that you like dye the red part with like you know beetle dye that you harvest. What if it's yeah. not that, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I think but that it's, it's to like a lot that. of people, and they just need they need permission just to go like no, go to fucking Target and yeah. then go to Michaels, yeah, and get the acrylic paint. Yeah, uh, that was that was valuable. Um. So yeah, fast forward, it's like the pandemic, and I'm ordering you know curbside pickup in Michaels. <laughs> that's yeah like one, there, one, my that's daughter the, walks in what are you doing you know <laughs> that, that's funny yeah assembly magical tools i have, a, I have tools. an up and up prayer rug yeah 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 that's awesome yeah assembling magical tools always puts you in these bizarre positions uh for sure um that's great so okay so i'm curious and, and yeah, that, that for me is also really helpful in how I learn where it's just like, it's really helpful just to have somebody to be like, do this, do this, do this, buy this. And then once you learn the actual technique, then you can 
while out customizing it and doing your own yeah. thing. But at the beginning, you kind of want someone to uh, tell you what to do, and then you can you can customize it later. And then it's just learn. It's just less stuff to worry about and decide. And also, there's always the worry of you know, am I getting the right thing? Am I doing it right? And there's just so much trial and error. So I'm curious, like out of that course, so yeah, for those who, who have not taken the Adapt Initiative or don't know what we're talking about, that's I think like a three month course, right? It's a long course and it involves, it teaches all the basics of meditation and hermetic magic and has Barden in it and has Crowley's yoga and a lot of other stuff in it. And it's my version of, it's my version of the, the neophyte grade of the Golden Dawn. So I'm curious out of that, out of all that material, what did you resonate with? Like, well, I guess the first question is, what resonated more with you, just the straight yoga and meditation or the actual hermetic magic part? The, the yoga and the meditation. Um, for me, especially as we were doing, you know, really hardcore, like the masking thing being able to control my breath like while I was working, you know, and I have to have, oh, a certain yeah. amount of fo- I have to have a certain amount of focus while I'm cutting somebody's hair. I, you know, and if I'm holding a razor to somebody's neck, um, I'm like, I'm locked in on it. Um, being able to control breath was, that was a pretty stellar thing. Um, even just, even when you're at, like, uh, when I was out shopping during that time and you're like running around, like you, I remember you shot me a message that was like, everything has turned into like a video game. <laughs> so you're at like a, you're at like a discount grocery in Mara Mesa, which is a, um, a neighborhood that's right by where Jason and I grew up, for people who don't know. And you're running around the aisles and you hear somebody sneeze. It's like, you can hold your breath for a minute now. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like really practical stuff like that. Yeah. Um, or also like just staying like, calm. Staying calm. Yeah. Yep. That, so that stuff was really, uh, that's what stuck with me. Um, that's interesting. The, the Barden stuff is now starting to come back into play just more in terms of, in terms of like how I've been living my life for maybe the last like year as we're starting to emerge and, and do these things. So that's kind of where I'm at with it right now. But I'm, I'm you know, right at the beginning of it. And, and when I was initially going through the Adept Initiative, like taking up a really hardcore meditation practice was crucial. I also like burned the fuck out on it. Okay. What, um, what, what, I'm there, so what, like, what, there was that kind of thing. What, what was the burnout part? I'm curious. I mean, I went from, you know, never having, you know, I remember talking to you and I'm like, well, how do you do like the sauna and how do you choose this kind of stuff? And, um, and you, I've never even tried to do that stuff for five minutes. Then I have months and months to really fold this into my life. And I'm waking up at four o'clock in the morning and within like four months of starting my practice, I'm sitting there with a, a saucer full of water on my head for an hour <laughs> yes. taking a taking a breath for a yes. minute yeah and exhaling it for two and that's fast that's pretty fast progress 
it was a little much. Yeah. Um, I would, I would have gone different, but I also, I was able to do it, you know, and the, and the crash and burn wasn't horrible or anything. I'm, you know, I still have my business. I still have my family. Well, so here. when you say crash and burn, what do you mean? Um, I just, I, I got burned out on it. I think I also started to believe that I, I could like, um, go out and, uh, like, like I took a job, like, a, like a auxiliary job at a, at a point during, um, lockdowns. Cause I was like, I'm like kind of, inv- I felt, I felt invincible. And then, you know, I don't want to go into too much detail about it, but like sure. Earth basically told me like, you're not, in, you're not invincible. Okay. You know, yes, you can breathe in for a minute and exhale for two minutes, but now no, you cannot. <laughs> so yeah. It, I got it's, leveled it's tough out to do that stuff. With hard. A, oh, interesting. Yeah. It, but, but not by like, you didn't like overdo the actual practice with like pranayama, pushing pushing. I pranayama had no incident. I had no incidents where I woke up on my med, like, you know, with my meditation bents, like toppled over and blood streaming out of my head or anything <laughs> like that. Okay. It wasn't that's like good. that. But, that's good. Yeah. Interesting. Did you go through, did you get the, um, some of the physical symptoms like sweating and all of that? That was, that was like almost immediate. Hmm. It kind of, uh, like Kundalini kind of yeah. stuff, right? Yeah. Do I have, um, Yeah. I, I absolutely did. Um, I mean, for me, it was like one of the, it, and then also like learning how to, I don't know how much we want to like divulge to people, but like going in and basically setting up your temple and like mm-hmm. your the astral and all that kind of stuff. For me, it was pretty, cause I'd already been, I've already, I'd already gone through initiation. Mm-hmm. It was like reinitiation. Mm-hmm. So the, you know, the first time I ever crossed like the 15 minute mark, it was like the Invincibles, you know, at this, like issue one, here's fucking John Lennon talking to you. Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah. Like, like that kind of thing. And you're like hugging and, and it was like, okay, we're here now. It's, it's game on. You know? Nice. Um, but that's all just, you know, that's all light show shit. Did you get like the the body rigidity, like locking into place? No. Okay. I did not get that. Okay. Did you get feelings of being just like non-existent and weightless? I did. Okay. Yeah, yeah it's interesting because these it's because I'm now I'm doing the course that I'm doing like goes into specifically this process in in very very fine detail and there's not there's no magic in it. It's just Raja Yoga, and it it boots people up over about two months, and through the eight limbs of yoga and. It's interesting getting feedback. I mean, I was writing about the Kundalini stuff in it and, you know, there's a certain order they list them in, but I think in practice, um, they happen potentially in different order for people. Some may never happen. Uh, some may happen a lot. Some may happen and then go away and nobody really knows why. And it's not like the stages are all necessary either. So it's a very mysterious thing. And, and, um, so uh, let me ask you this, though. It's like after going through that, what do you think about the concept of whatever that is? I mean, like, yeah, we can say like Kundalini because that's the word people know most. But what, like, wh- what is your concept now of, of this idea of, I don't know, like a process, a physiological process that occurs or, or subtle energy body or anything like that? 
now having gone through that? To be honest with you, I don't, I don't know. I haven't really reflected on it that much. Mm. What, what the actual, what the responses mean or what, what they were. Um, I don't know what was going on, <laughs> that kind of stuff. I'm not sure. Um, I wish I had a better answer for you, Jason, okay. than that. But, but it, I, sound, it, it sounds like you got into some interesting headspaces, though, right? I did. And I wasn't necessarily shooting for that, you know. Um, I, looking back now, like I was saying, I, I have a, you know, I have a profession where I already am able to harness a certain amount of focus. So I don't know how much more I needed to pile on to myself. Okay. You know, it's like, you can work out, but like you can work out too much. There's these stories about Dennis Rodman, the the famous, (laughs) Yeah. we all know who Dennis Rodman is, (laughs) but there's stories about where he's at the height of Chicago Bulls, like championship teams. He's playing in the finals. He gets in, he gets into the stadium two hours before everybody even starts to warm up. And he's like, he's already done two hours of working out mm. on an intense level, plays the game. And then after the game does another two hours Damn. to what end, Yeah, you know, what are you trying to do? Um, so for me, that's kind of what meditation was like. I'm like, I'm already focusing all day and like doing all this kind of stuff and to what like try to strengthen that more that's why it was a little more uh chill for me to go to the bar and stuff which was a lot more real back and it had maybe more not what i knew i was looking for at the time but i had more creative application interesting to, to do um to to apply that kind of stuff for that's really interesting yeah um yeah, it's good feedback. It's good feedback. For me, the that whole Raja Yoga process is the main event of early training in my mind. It's like the one thing that I feel like everyone would benefit from and just strengthens you so much. Um, but, you know, as you might imagine, you know, telling people just to sit for an hour a day with a saucer of water on their head is a bit of a hard sell at first. So it's good to ease people into it. And it's like for what? Right. You read Crowley and he talks about the abyss or right. whatever. What the fuck is the bit, the abyss? Um, right. I don't know. Yeah. Well, that in a, in a sense is the benefit of Crowley also where he's talking about higher levels than Barden ever talked about or, or any, or Dion Fortune or any of these other people talked about. Um, yeah. because he is talking in technical language about very, very specific things, but things that were not covered by his peers cause they didn't go that far. Um, and, and also those, those can be very disturbing levels for people in terms of ego dissolution yeah. or the kind of, um, dealing with the corrupt nature of the universe, uh, shall we say things like that. And, and it, it, but Crowley Crowley went for it, and that's one of the real benefits of his work. But that's all really interesting. So, so what would you what would you say to people just beginning that process, whether it's adept or something else? I mean, kind of like embarking on, for instance, the meditation process or really taking magic seriously. Um, and I will say that um, you mentioned you had already kind of gone through initiation, and for me, 
the one of the benefits of a structured system, whether it's the Golden Dawn and Crowley one or Barden, even if you've already done a lot of this stuff, it's all, always very helpful, I found, to just go back and go through it to restructure everything and kind of like see where you the bits where you can go focus and drill down a bit more. But just to kind of like lend structure to that experience, because, you know, as, as, as we all know, like life's going to initiate you. If you ask for it, it's going to initiate you no matter what. And life finds a way, as Jeff Goldblum said. So, but to go through the structure of it then puts like a, a very comforting um, structure on it. Yeah. I would tell people to, one, I, I, agree, I agree with what you just said. It, and I'm in that process right now, which is mm. like going back through and preparing for the talk today. I was kind of going back through some of my journals from, from that time. Um, I, and I think you can definitely go back and, and go like, this is what I would do different in like a scientific way, right? That's why you keep all that stuff. Yeah. So you can go back through and reference it. Um, but uh, uh, what would I tell somebody who's just starting? Go slow. Be be kind to yourself. You know, there's a, there's a thing like where, and this is, you were like, be relent, you know, be relentless in, in your pursuit of it. I forget the exact kind of thing. There's a fucking pretty, heady high that comes from the initial stages of like figuring this stuff out. Yeah. But, um, and, and there's something about really chasing after it, chomping at the bit or just trying to accelerate things is, it feels so great, but it's like slow your roll. Yeah. A little bit, you know, and it, life is short, but like you have a little bit of time. To yeah. Do. I had time during, the, the pandemic i had time during the quarantines to like i didn't need to go that hard but sometimes but, you got to go hard to f figure out where not how hard not to go you know it's like that that's kind of one of the things is like obviously i can't tell people to just go like go for it but it's definitely helpful to find your own limits be before in my in in my um magical practices i had been so prudent um and, and this was like me being not that <laughs> I got to nice. see what ends of, you know, the spectrum, you know, where the guardrails are, you know? So what was the heady rush? If you want to talk about that, that feeling, There's some kind of, you know, like, like, you know, you hear people, if people go like, what have you been up to? And it's hard not to talk about it. And yeah. that's what you're always saying. Like, it's like, don't, people think you're a fucking poop when you start talking yeah, about this stuff. Unfortunately. But it's like, what have you been up to? And it's like, well, you know, meditating. Oh, I yeah. meditate too. Like I use the mindfulness app. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're, and you're like, that's sweet. And then in your head, you're like laughing like a fucking villain. Like, you, you know, my yeah. ego was like, got big. And I'm like sitting there like, oh, you can bench like 90 pounds and I'm putting up like 350. Yeah, yeah. You know? I say that to just caution other people that's a very real thing yeah well it's also there's such a once you, because people are very interested in meditation now so once you kind of get like the actual techniques it's really easy to look around because those techniques come from alan bennett uh in in sri lanka and mm -hmm. they're they're theravada buddhist techniques and raja yoga techniques 
from a, a, and they're from a period before any of this became popular or people were even aware of it or it became commodified. So it's easy when you get those techniques to then look around at what people call yoga or meditation and it's like, okay, like putting on stretch pants and listening to Sting you know, is, is not like, and, and, and so it's, there's a temptation to be like, well, let me tell you for your own good, you know, that this is not the right thing. But I, 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 yeah, I actually put it, I have a note in the new meditation course to, to say, yeah, like don't that, that advice to knock, not knock other people's spiritual things is really important because for some people, like just getting to that point, of even be able, being able to consider the idea of it is really, really important. And often people have to go through a lot of really painful life experiences to even begin to consider the idea. So then like for me to come around and be like, well, actually, you know, like, <laughs> like that's, that's not very helpful. And I, I, uh, you know, before I did magic.me, I was teaching meditation at the, at the corporate office I was working at. And I had the experience of, you know, I was like, okay, like I advertised meditation course and like maybe 20 people showed up and they, and I was like, okay, well, we're going to try to sit still now and focus on one thing. And people were like, well, can we listen to music? And I was like, no. And they're like, can we like just put on music on an app? So, no. Can we have a candle? No. And like they immediately were just like, well, we'll screw this and like never came back. And I only had one person out of all of those people who was willing to actually do the practice. And so in retrospect, it's like, well, you know, maybe it's better, better to ease people into it, I think. So, because, and, and that's like, so for instance, also in LA, I used to go to, the, there's a sensory deprivation tank spot, which if you haven't seen, I really recommend called just float in Pasadena. It's awesome. And I used to go there a lot and talk to them and they would say, you know, like a lot of people who come here, they've never even been on their, they've never even really been by themselves before, let alone in a tank. It's like, they've never had 10 minutes where it's just them by themselves with their own thoughts. And this is LA, which is full of, you know, very extroverted people. But I think that's true of a lot of people. And so it's, yeah, I think people should only be encouraged and not, not discouraged or made to feel like, yeah, like, okay, well, I can meditate harder than you. <laughs> There's a classic, like, there was this old YouTube of like, like, um, I forget what it's called, like Arj Barker, Buddhist rapper or something like that, where he's this kind of like Trustafarian kid who's like showing off how Buddhist he is. And he's like, there's one line where he's like, yeah, you know, like 60 minute meditation. I killed it in 50. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, It's one one of the things we do as humans, you know, we just kind of you know stack ourselves up against others and you want to think that you're really great compared to the guy next to you you're not yeah (laughs) Yeah, for sure (laughs) for sure yeah um but i think that meditation really is and magic magic is in my life has been one of the things that has consistently made that point to me rather than the opposite you know, it's often putting, it's, it's so, particularly in my twenties, it's so often just, just continued to put me in positions in life that were just grinding me down into just like total, like submission and humility and just being like, no, I am 
I'm not a big deal. Okay, now I'm really not a big deal. It's like, okay, like I'm the scum of the earth. You know, it's like, like it, at least for me, I don't know if it's like that for everyone, but you know, I, and you talk about the abyss and things like that. It's like, I really got my ass handed to me for the, probably the first 10 years. And definitely after Generation Hex came out, it was like, okay, it's time for the backlash. <laughs> I don't, so. What do you think? I, I, I've been thinking about that a lot. Like what the abyss is. I, I, uh, as far as I can tell, it's just like a huge, it's like a huge pit of cringe and it's just full <laughs> yeah. of your own. Like, have you seen the movie inside out the, no. the Pixar movie? Oh yeah. I, no, I, I did I, see I, part of it. Yeah. With the core memories. Allow, and all me, oh, allow me to speak in Pixar. Yeah. They yeah, dump yeah. core memories into this pit in the brain where they're just banished forever. And there's just these little orbs of memories. To me, that's the abyss. Just like the, my the, like the memory hole. In 1984. Interesting. Yeah. Of, ju- of just like, ugh, you know. Yeah. Stuff that makes you shudder. Or like yeah. you said, I'm the scum of the earth. Yeah. It happens. Fuck. It um, happens. Yeah. I, uh, for me, the abyss is contact with the totality of all human suffering on the planet all at once. I, I like mine better. It just sounds it, a little easier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But who's to say, you know, it's like, like one of the points that Jen often made to me was like, you know, Jen had a thing from Burroughs where Burroughs always said, say an instead of the, so Jen would say anabis, not the abyss, right? You, you crossed anabis. Yeah. There's no like, and, and and interestingly enough, like I, I also made this, I was thinking about when I was doing the, at the end of the meditation course, I have a whole section on on enlightenment like what is enlightenment because that's obviously a thing that people fixate on and i thought about it and i realized logically there can never be any such thing there's no there's no like there's no and the reason is it's the same with the abyss or any of these magical experiences the reason is that um you can only gauge your experiences by prior experiences not experiences you haven't had So if you have any experience, you know, there may be quote unquote, a higher level out there, but since you haven't experienced it, you don't know. And the most you can do is take it on faith from somebody that there's something out there, but that's a faith claim. So it's like, there's really, it's it's like basically impossible to make any type of enlightenment claim. And and I don't think people should, or it's it's just like logically impossible because somebody could think like they're king shit. But since they don't know what they don't know, there's no possible way to ascertain that. Yeah. That's a question. Mm. <laughs> here's, here's another thing. I, this is really, you. this is another thing. Talking about like flame outs and maybe like where you can go wrong. But this is very specific to me. And I would venture to say that not many other of your, your students have this experience but it's just because i've known you and i've known you you know for a long time is you're you know at some point i'm sitting there and i'm i look at my copy of like burrow you said burrow so i just thought of this Mm -hmm. and i see my copy of like cities of the red knight on the bookshelf i'm thinking about like the lineage where it's like i consider you a teacher um i know that you can follow that in a very direct manner to Jen and then to Burroughs yeah. and what, and I'm sitting there, I'm like, 
just fucking wild. Yeah, it, <laughs> it's, it, it it's is weird. It's a weird yeah. thing. It it is. I don't think about that that much, but yeah, I yeah. Do, I don't either. I I go to there and then I just kind of like stop at the threshold of it, and I'm like, this isn't worth investigating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's but, probably oh, for the best. That's probably of, for the best. Yeah. One thing I always loved about Burroughs, because when you know, like I read so much Burroughs as a teenager, and um, I think the reason I did is because my parents found a copy of the wild boys or something like that took a look at three pages and immediately just like no you can no longer have this book you know just like took it so like that is like the thing that most obviously made me want to okay now it's like okay now i'm definitely going to read all of this stuff you know it's like so but yeah the thing about ages old thing yeah no i know it's like okay well that's that you've just validated it that's the thing now so um but, but yeah but by retrospect it's like you know, impressionable youth should probably not be reading The Wild Boys by William Burroughs. Uh, or, or I don't know, you know, that's, that. well, they definitely should, actually. Um, think about what, think about the things that we grew up with. Was it that bad? In retrospect? No. Yeah. Not at yeah. all. I mean, look at the world, look at the post 9-11 world. It's just like, I mean, or just this, like, we didn't, we didn't grow up with internet porn. You know, and kids now just from the get-go are like immersed in things that Burroughs never could have imagined. Yeah. Yeah. You can read Junkie or Wild Boys or whatever it is, but I mean, also you turn that off and you you would turn on the USA Network on any given yeah. Friday night and you would see J- Jason Voorhees like swinging a camp counselor around in a sleeping bag against a tree. It's like, it yeah. was all fucking garbage. Yeah. I feel that way about Crowley actually too. It's like, you know, you're reading a lot of Crowley and you're struggling with his his antics and things like that. But it's like, you know, um, by, yeah, by the standards of just pop culture now, it's just, he's like, it seems like reactionary, like conservative. Uh, and in addition to that came from a time period where he, he had to actually live all that, you know, like, like he was, you know, as I'm sure people generally were before so much electronic media, um, or just prior times in history, he would just, he had gone through that, like he'd gotten his soul dirty. And I think that's, that's important. You know, it's important to go through stuff in the world as opposed to people now who just absorb everything, uh, secondhand through digital media, which may not, it may even be computer generated. And, and they, so for me, it's like people of that era just seem so much more human to me than people now. And that in itself is very disturbing. Yeah, I mean, getting dirt under your fingernails is a sign that you maybe even work it. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it. That's a good way to put it, and that that is something that I always really did appreciate about Crowley. This his his stance of, you know, you have to be as he would put it, like a man of the world. You know, you can't just be like in your temple doing your things. Like you have to, because for him, you know, from his perspective, it's like if the whole world is is. Um, as they say in the Oath of the Abyss, you know, the, if the whole world is God talking to you, well, then you, you can't ignore any part of it. You've got to like merge with all of it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the nineties were better. Um, talk about, so, so, okay. So, but you, you opened a wizard themed barbershop and now, and which is awesome. Uh, so talk about this also. It's like, and, and, and specifically your, why, why it is wizard themed because I've, I've never actually talked to you about this. 
I was just listening to, I think you were talking about, you know, personal brands and things like that. I don't it was, it was like, you know, there's a famous book about marketing that's called like Be the Purple Cow. Oh, I don't know that one. And it, you know, basically differentiate yourself. Well, you know, the, the barbershop I have, Paloma, is still a really, you know, it's an authentic expression um, of things that I'm interested in and, and my my principles um, as a person. Um, it's not the sum total of, of who I am or anything like that, but it was, I, I mean, I got into barbering and right around 2013 and that was right when Instagram was like blowing up huge time. The millennials were still pretty young and everyone became kind of enamored with this idea of like craft culture. Yeah. And, um, you know, trade and almost to like a cosplay kind of thing where it was Mm -hmm. like, if you go to a bar and the guy's not wearing a bow tie with like a little burlap bag with ice in it, like, you know, and it's not like, doesn't have a bowler hat on and stuff. Are you even having a good drink? You know, it's like (laughs) that kind of thing. And barbering was certainly like that where it was, you know, like this is, you know, uh, in a weird way, like almost kind of uh, retro fetishistic kind of idea of what, especially masculine spaces were like um, in like mid-century. I mean, fast forward three years later and you're, you're looking down the, the barrel of like the Trump thing yeah. where it's literally running on that. For me at the time, I had already been kind of uh, envisioning the business that I wanted to start. And I just wanted to basically invert everything about those spaces. Interesting. Which is like, I mean, there are, you can look, I, I have my eye in, 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 in my ear to the ground and my eye on the, on the industry. And it's a place, it's barbering's a place where it's like, there are barbershops that, you know, get hit with lawsuits because people walk in and they feel they're, they're not even like about what they feel. They're just told, Oh, you're like a trans person. We only cut men's hair here. Mm. And they, and they get, and they, they're asked to leave. They're discriminated against. They're incredibly, toxic environments wow this is still still it's like this and this is not regional things are changing okay um but you know there it's a it's a huge industry so you know i can't speak about what's going on all over the place there are things that are probably even worse than what i can imagine and there's Mm. and then it's probably better in some cases too um that's just how humans progress you know it's incremental but yeah I, i i just I, I wanted something that was um, just stood apart from that. Um, and I didn't do that all on like, like, it's not like, you know, uh, like, Oh, my, my older brother likes black. So now I like white or they like chocolate. Now I like vanilla. Like I wasn't right. just completely reactionary all the time, but, uh, but that's what it was. I just, you know, yeah, like wizard's magic, intention, you know, all this kind of stuff. It was also like a time I opened the shop in like 2018 and there was this kind of like uptick in uh, kind of street level office worker guys who were like, yeah, dude, I went to like a crystal convention. Oh, wow. You know? I, see, I, <laughs> like I had no idea. 
Well, it sounds like a lot of what it sounds like. That it's kind of thing. Or like my, my, you know. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it sounds like a, a lot of what you do is also hold space for people. Maybe like you were talking about, like yeah. there are not cause, cause also listening, like listening to you and thinking there really are, I mean, this is not a, you know, a, a controversial statement. It's like, there really are no places or very few places just for people to talk or connect or like actually have a human experience. And I, like, I imagine a lot of what you do is just talk to people a lot. I didn't know that I was going to be like a torchbearer for some like ages old practice. Hmm, and I didn't know feel. that what it's kind of, regardless of whether I feel that or not, it's what's being, but not, it's, it's what people are asking me to do. Um, and I did, I certainly didn't know that we were going to be one of the last places where you could go and have a conversation yeah. with other people. It really, I, Dude, I talked to, I, I have, you know, I have 75 unique 45 minute long conversations every week with people. Wow. Um, so I, um, and there, you know, there's a bias there. It's people that come into my business and all that, but, um, there are people who come in and especially during the lockdown, they were just like, they would come in and they were like, the relief was like, um, cause they're like, oh, I get to talk to somebody just else. Just to be able to talk to somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they're not going wherever else. You know? Yeah, that sounds so amazing. Um, like, I would love that. Uh, and just also, I mean, like, you, you must have such a different perspective on, I would imagine, everything after having 75 conversations a week with, with people on, on a regular basis. Like, that, that's, that trumps podcasting by far. You know, it's like, well, one of the reasons I think people like podcasting is because they're, they're starved for connection and conversation. Yeah. I, I spend a lot of time really tailoring down like who was coming in and, you know, basically like inviting a certain kind of person with one hand and telling, Mm. you know, another kind of person with the other to like, get the, get the hell out of here, stay away. Um, because I have to talk to these, I have to talk to these folks. Yeah. 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 (laughs) And I don't need to be aligned with everything that they're talking about. That's ridiculous. Um, I just have to kind of be comfortable around them and they have to be comfortable with me. Um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing. And now, as we know, like, uh, everybody's kind of, uh, downwind from the algorithm. Yeah. And I, it's sometimes scary to start to hear, um, you know, a certain amount of things, like just being kind of like the tides oh, change, oh, oh, the, oh. the winds change. Oh, that's interesting. I can, so, I have, wow. And you're I you're picking up person. on, like you're picking up on patterns of what people are saying to you. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I read the same article. Yeah. Yeah. I, oh, and they're like, they're presenting it as their idea. Yeah. Yeah. So what what is your, okay, well then I'm super curious. That's, that's super interesting. Um, because I don't really have a sense of where things are or where things are going. I mean, things seem to be kind of evening out a little bit. I, I hope they're definitely not as crazy as a year ago, but in terms of what happens next, I have no idea. I don't know. Like, what have you been picking up on from where people are at? Well, there's, there's certainly still, um, 
an amount of people, like a, a certain amount of people that come in and they go, uh, like the sky is falling kind of they're little chicken little. Right. And, uh, like everything's the apocalypse. Um, and it certainly feels like that. That's still in there. There are other people who are, you know, I, I have clients who like, I had uh, two clients last week that had children, you know, those guys don't, they, they're not concerned with the January 6th stuff or whatever yeah. it is, or, you know, they are, or, you know, pick any kind of topic. They're, they're just, they're trying, they're in like a moment where they're welcoming a new life or they're starting a new job or their dad just died or whatever it is. Um, but in terms of like what's going on on the streets, people are very, there's a kind of, a notion um, right now that is seems to be, be kind of like spreading where it's like, we don't talk about, it's like kind of like the, the old timey kind of uh, notion of like, we don't talk about politics mm. or you don't like, you don't chastise or write people off for their politics. Um, that's good. That's, that's good. It's, it's interesting. It's also like that's, but that's also something that like fucking gatekeepery white people say to gaslight. That's people also to true. Like that's not. also true. Because, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. really, that's also true. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, everyone can figure out their own dance with that idea. You know, they can figure out what they want to do with that, or how much they're going to re, re, uh, have revulsion when somebody else talks about one side or the other. Um, yeah, I have been thinking about that lately in the sense that that um you know, particularly in the the media, it's people are doing the centrist thing and the Bill Maher thing and all of it and it's like you know, it's like being saying why can't we all get along and being centrist like is an extremely political position or saying like everything's too extreme now. It just means all that that means is like you benefit from the current status quo and you want to make sure it doesn't change, which is inherently an extremely reactionary position. So to just, and to also to like tell other people not to speak is inherently an issue. So yeah. when you put it like it's that, incredibly much, violent. yeah, it's a very violent thing to tell somebody don't, you don't talk about politics. Interesting. Interesting. I'm gonna have to think about that. That's really interesting. Yeah. I mean, these are things where these are, you know, our law, our um, policies, these types of things, these are things that uh, uh, dictate everything about our lives. So to ask people not to fucking talk about them, get out of here. Yeah. Are you going to, you know, are you going to help that person out after they've, um, after they said a bunch of stuff that you've deemed incredibly hateful, um, I, you know, are you, that's the real question to me. That's are you going to help, the, are you gonna help them out? Is that what you said? Not, not help them out. Are you going to be kind to them? Are you still going to recognize their humanity in the situation? You know, you meet somebody, if you're on, you know, one side of the, the aisle or spectrum and you meet somebody else and you're like, this guy's a fucking hate monger or these people are trying to cancel me or whatever it is and everyone's hollering at each other, how do you reconcile after you've had that conversation with the fact that you still have to share space with each other? Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it 100% makes sense. Um, 
because I see that kind of stuff. I meet people who are of different identities and different political persuasions and all these types of things. And they're just, they're completely, the one thing that they have in common is that they're completely convinced that the other person wants to see the other one dead. And that's fucking weird. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how we, this is why, why, why everybody's talking about civil war right now. Right. And yeah, I was in line this morning at Vons and I saw like a national Enquirer. The civil war is here. yeah Um, well it's it's disturbing when you see it in the guardian or nbc news yeah what are your thoughts on that i mean my my initial response is always people are just too busy and lazy for that but i don't know i don't know i don't know either you know i've certainly i think about it a lot i think about it in terms of it seems like there's violence in our country every day relating to this to these things and I don't know (laughs) is it possible to be in a war for a long time and not even know you're in one I think so yeah and and um, I think about yeah the the question on my mind is like well like how do you define a war Uh, because if everyone's thinking about the civil war like people like facing off on a battlefield it's like that's obviously not going to happen ever again but if you think about it as just like constant random sporadic acts of violence, which are political, like that's already happening. And that's what the 30 years war was like. That's what the hundred years war was like in Europe. Like that went on for a long time. That's what the troubles are like in Ireland, Yeah. you know? And recently I watched, uh, I forget what it's called. This is a documentary about South Central Los Angeles and how it's just been just fucked by the system and turned into a pipeline into the prison system. And they point out that just in that one area, if you take that one area of Los Angeles, it is the world's longest running active conflict. Like more than more. And it's the more people have died in that area than the entire like Irish conflict. So it's kind of like, well, like, does it seem like a war if you're in a gated community? Like, no, you're probably just like, you know, yelling at the TV or something like that. But you know, if you are somewhere where people are shooting each other, like you're already in a war. And so the question for me is just like, well, how do you define war? Is it some aside actively declares war on the other side? You know, it's like, but what are the sides in America? It's kind of like just, it's, it's chaos. So. This is something that I've been, I, I think about it a lot because, um, I don't want to have to silence myself um, as a person who has a street level business. I have to tell people kind of where I'm at, where, you know, where I draw the line on what issues those are is, is up to me. Um, yeah. I've always admired that. A, I've, I've always admired that about you, uh, that you're very, you have a big heart and you're also very vocal and active about that stuff, which I think is, is probably hard to do, but really important. It's hard because you see things like, and look, I'm not, I'm not Salman Rushdie, right? But we're a couple of days off of that attack on him happening. I'm not, I don't have fatwa on me, but we're also in the age in America where we all know what happens when um, people get doxxed and, you know, uh, you, you, you're at a goddamn, you're one, you're working at a pizza parlor and, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. and the, we know the story, right? Uh, like, yeah, yeah. And and so 
it's it's a troublesome thing for me and, and it um when we're in a state that we're in right now where there are um target of acts of violence whether they're famous authors and it's been going on for over 30 years or if it's you're a fucking barber yeah you know um and that's it's i don't i don't like living in fear yeah no um but it's also it's there for a reason fear is there for a reason Remember in the nineties when everyone was complaining about how miserable their lives were like American beauty. It's like, everything is so meaningless. <laughs> like Radiohead. <laughs> yeah. That has not aged Dude. well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I would say, I would, yeah. The Radiohead thing is funny. I, I don't know. Yeah. Like that song, no surprises about just like how hollow being a, a upper middle class Englishman is. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, you were talking, I think you were talking in the, the Dark Knight uh, thing was about the, um, the Arnold Schwarzenegger Batman. Which oh, one? yeah, yeah, Batman? yeah. Like Uma Thurman and like, and I, I, it's funny as I watched it a couple weeks ago too and I was, I had basically the exact same reaction. It was like, look how chill this was. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, right. it was totally, we all just sh- shit on it at the time and i look back on it now and i'm like this is amazing yeah right how it's like goofy it was and yeah it's just colorful people are wearing like comfy baggy clothing you know it's like you know bruce wayne's just like in a turtleneck like chilling out at his pad you know it's low like, stakes just low stakes everything yeah yeah totally right <laughs> yeah, yeah it, i know that's a that's a that's a sad realization but i think like you know, it's like, but on the other hand, it's like, you know, like uh, World War II happened and then 20 years later, you know, we got the Batman TV show, you know, it was like the sixties, everything was awesome. So I'm sure it comes in, in waves, but yeah, it's kind of depressing to realize that you probably grew up in the peak moment, you know, and it's kind of going to be downhill <laughs> in some ways. Like I remember there was like a meme somebody shared on Reddit of a kid opening a Nintendo 64 for Christmas morning like and just like freaking out and like the caption was just like you will never feel this good ever again (laughs) (laughs) and it's kind of (laughs) true i don't know that maybe that's being overly cynical but yeah yeah i mean uh uh, certainly a company that's selling uh you know a video game console wants to tell you that and have it have that message land yeah (laughs) yeah for sure yeah. Well, this is just like a random meme, but yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Yeah. With the civil war thing, like, I don't know. I just think it's going to, we're going to have to live with violence for the rest of our lives probably as just a, as just an ambient condition. And that's really upsetting. Uh, I don't think there's going to be like, I mean, even if you take the January 6th thing, it's like th- those, those people were morons and it's like what really happened? Like a furry got into the Capitol building, you know? And but at the same time, you know, there was a lot of violence in 2020 and I just think it's going to be, uh, ambient much. And that's why I'm more interested in looking at like Ireland as a model. But also when you look at the civil war, uh, which I've never been that interested in and you think that at least nominally that was a war that was fought over, um, slavery, which was an issue that people on both sides were willing to kill for and die for and 
yes, there were all these other economic things and things like that, but at least in the, the, that, you know, in people's hearts and minds, that's what they were fighting over. Um, and you think about even, um, women's rights now. I mean, I think that's an issue that both sides are even to possibly a more extreme level are willing to, to kill or die for. Uh, and it's not that, and the battle lines are pretty similar. And I think that's easily as much of a, like a flashpoint. Uh, I watched, there's another movie on IFC called the Confederate States of America, which is, was done by the, the guy that did black Klansmen. And it's a mockumentary about what the America would be like if the South, uh, had won. And it's just like the most disturbing thing you've ever seen. It's like, it's like. You know, like they have like like home shopping network for slaves, like QVC, and like all this insane. It's just like I recommend that's it to everyone. Of, um, that's kind of like a uh, using the same model that like the Philip K. Dick, like Man in the High Tower kind of thing. Yeah, like in a hypothetically, you know, that's interesting. Yeah, so I'm not sure what point I'm trying to get at with that, other than you know. Uh, just wanting everyone to be quiet and not have their grievances is also, I mean, basically what we're, I I don't know what I'm trying to say. It's just like, just telling people to avoid conflict is possibly not also not the the morally correct thing to do. I don't know. I want to watch my words carefully. We need conflict. We need conflict to refine things. You know, I was listening to, um, I was listening to The Clash yesterday. And that band wouldn't have been shit if it, if it had just been Mick Jones or if it had just been Joe Strummer. You need those two, you need those two people there to kind of create that, have back and forth yeah. and what they're doing. We need conflict um, to a certain degree in order to, to push things forward. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I know. I yeah. agree. I think lately, most... it's funny. I've had I've had this thing. Go ahead. Go ahead. I've had this really, I've had this really interesting phenomenon happening with me where I be I'm we're all aware of the algorithm now, and um, something like Roe, like the Roe v. Wade thing will happen. It gets overturned, and I can read all these articles about it, but it, or I can read tweets or whatever it is. And I wasn't arriving at any sort of sense of truth with myself and how I feel about it mm, okay. and, and what I think about it. And I have been in just intuitively gravitating towards works of fiction, which sounds like not the thing to do. We don't live in that, like that's a no. Right. But I will then like, just I'll go like, I've never read plays as a ladies by Joan Diddy. And I'll just start reading it. I was right. I started it the week before the Roe v. Wade thing overturned. I've just been on this like Joan Didion kick. Oh, nice. Um, and that and that book is one of like one of its you know main trauma points. Its main you know uh, things about abortion and the trauma that happens about it. I learned more re- about it and was able to like play against that book and arrive at some sort of my own my own sense of this issue than if i if i sat and read fucking articles from the atlantic yeah yeah, yeah. For that's like great a week, which is interesting and that, and that happened with a couple of other things just weirdly i didn't go through and like look for works of fiction that have to um 
have abortion in it, but I've been like reading a bunch of Jonathan Carroll, who's like a magical realism okay. author. And I, I've been like picking up some of his books and yeah, I would not say everyone should start trying to find truth. in <laughs> Well, Joan Didion know, is a great, was, was great uh, in writing in that way. I remember, I mean, she has an essay in the white album, I think about um, suffering from migraines and how nobody around her thinks that it's a real thing. And she just describes in detail what it's actually like. And that was like, really? Okay. Well, I should probably wrap up because I'm dying of thirst and we're hitting the two hour mark, but this was a great conversation. Do you want to um, tell people about how they can find out more about you and your shop? Yeah. If they're uh, nearby. At Paloma Barber, yeah. At Paloma Barbershop. We're in San Diego, California. Um, I'm on Instagram. I don't post that much anymore. Um, yeah, that's where I'm at. Awesome. Yeah, I've definitely, if, if people have seen me rocking the Paloma Barbershop shirt on <laughs> YouTube or Office Hours, that's, that's, that's Andy's shop. Okay, well, this was an awesome conversation. Thank you again for being on. We will have to talk again soon, and uh, it's great yeah. to catch up. Jason, it was nice seeing you. You too. All right. All right, hope you really enjoyed that. Check out magic.me for lots, lots more. M-A-G-I-C-K dot M-E. And join us at the world's greatest school for magic, meditation, and manifestation. See you there.